Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And in verse number 12, the disciples then, as Christ had instructed them to do, it says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And remember that Christ had told them to wait there in Jerusalem uh, until until the Holy Spirit would come. And he had also told them that that was where their ministry was going to begin, where they were going to begin to be witnesses of him, was there at Jerusalem. And so they go back there to the city of Jerusalem. In verse 13, it says, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James. It gives a a list here, not of 12 apostles, but of 11, because there's one missing. Uh, It mentions, of course, Peter and James and John and and Andrew and those names that you're familiar with. The last name that it mentions is Judas, the brother of James. Now realize there were two disciples that were named Judas. This is Judas, the brother of James. But the one that is missing is Judas Iscariot. And, in fact, we'll see here in the following verses what had happened with Judas Iscariot. Remember that Judas Iscariot had betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver and uh, he, again, we'll see, we'll see what happened there with Judas. But these 11, now it's not 12, but 11, are gathered there in the upper room. And verse 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. If you continue on to verse 15, you see it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120. Now, you know, not all of those necessarily are there in that, in that upper room, but you see there's more than just the 12 there at least. Uh, there's, there's the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. And Peter, in verse 15, sees that there is something that needs to be set in order. Uh, he's there with these 120, and he says in verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. 
And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, you see there that that, uh, Peter makes reference to several passages in the Psalms that he applies to Judas. Um, he, he refers to, uh, for instance, Psalm, uh, turn over to Psalm 69. That's one of the Psalms that Peter makes reference to. Psalm 69. This is another one of those Psalms, as many of the Psalms are, that really are prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, the one speaking here, this is a, this is a Psalm of David, meaning that David wrote it and, and, you know, Possibly in David's mind as he wrote it, he's writing about situations that are taking place in his life, but it's really prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of these psalms are that way, and really we can see that Christ is really the speaker here. As God is inspiring this psalm through David, it's really uh, revealing the thoughts of Christ. You can see in verse 1 it says, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Now, again, you can see how these things are, are applicable to David. But also remember that the Lord Jesus Christ and these psalms like this are portraying Christ as he's there upon the cross. Certainly he had no sin of his own, but often in these psalms, Christ is portrayed as a sinner because he was identified with sinners, because he bore the sin of the world. And so uh, while these sins that are mentioned here would not be Christ's sins that he had committed, um, there's application there as well. Uh, He speaks there throughout this psalm of those that hated him without a cause, those that are are, uh, have set themselves against him and are oppressing him. And he describes these these enemies of his, skip down to verse 18, where it says, draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. You see the even specific details of the crucifixion of Christ appear in psalms like this. Uh, A similar psalm to this would be Psalm 22, uh, would be another one. Verse 22, it says, Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. Now verse 25, there is the verse that that Peter is making reference to. He's not directly quoting it as in a word-for-word quote, but he's making reference to it. And he applies that to Judas. Okay, he takes this, this passage that is 
you know, written generally, you see it's the, the psalm originally, uh, as it speaks about the enemies, that's in the plural. Not talking about one man, but talking about all these that had set themselves against the Lord. But Peter takes it and applies it to Judas specifically, that, um, that, that his habitation would be desolate. Okay. Now, another another psalm that is made reference to in the passage is Psalm 109. And turn over there. Now, Psalm 109 differs from Psalm 69 in that Psalm 109 is talking about a specific person. And where, where Psalm 69 was talking about these adversaries of the Lord in general, and it was applied also to Judas... This psalm, Psalm 109, is specifically talking about Judas himself. It doesn't mention him by name, but it describes him. Uh, beginning, beginning in verse 1, it says, Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. And beginning there with verse 6, this is going to talk about Judas. Um, by the way, before, before I continue on here, back in Psalm 69, there was something I, I should have mentioned that I did not mention. Was It mentioned their table. It said, let their table become a snare. That's a, that's a verse that's quoted later on in Paul's epistles about how Israel, these things that should have been for their good, turned into a trap for them and how that special position that God had given to Israel as a nation wound up being a, a stumbling block and a snare to them and especially the crucifixion of Christ that was, was for their redemption was something they... they you know, brought about and caused by wicked hands, and it became that stumbling block for them. Uh, the that table uh, we've we've in in uh, other lessons we've looked at how, for instance, when Christ talked to the the uh, um, Canaanite woman, and he said it was not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, and she said. Yea, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. See, there's a table that's referred to in Scripture that God had set for the nation of Israel. It's, it's that special position that God had given to them. And Israel were the children that could sit at the table, and the Gentiles were the dogs who got the crumbs that, that overflowed from the table. Okay, But you see how Israel's table, that special position that was given to them, became a snare. They became lifted up with pride. They began to think that, that uh, their position with God was based on their righteousness instead of looking to God for the righteousness that they needed. And that, that table, that special position, became a snare and a trap to them. And, and, you know, that passage there in, in Psalm 69 is really describing unbelieving Israel in general, but you see how it's applied specifically to the man Judas. Coming back here to Psalm 109, uh, so verse 6 mentions this wicked man, and it says, Let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Now, now here in, in uh, the Psalms, it, it uses that word office. Over in Acts, it used, it used the term bishopric. 
And bishop is a, you know, when we think of a bishop, you probably think of, you know, some guy in some, some religious denomination that wears a funny hat and, and that kind of thing. But uh, a bishop is a biblical office. In fact, really what, what we often commonly refer to as the, as the office of pastor, really biblically is referred to as the office of a bishop. And so you see that in the epistles, for instance, in the church epistles, they often make reference to the bishops and the deacons. And you have those two, those two offices in the church. Uh, a bishop is an overseer. And that's the, the, the office, you know, where, where, uh, in the, in Psalm 109, it just uses that general term office. In Acts 1, it uses a more specific term and, and still a reference to that office of being a bishop. These, these 12 disciples are overseers. Christ had, had chosen them and they were first his disciples, but then they were apostles and they were sent out to oversee and they lead that, that church at Jerusalem. And you see here how, as, as Peter thinks about this passage here in Psalm 109, he sees clearly that it's referring to the man Judas, and that, according to verse 8, his days would be few, and somebody else, another, was going to have to take his office. Somebody else was going to have to take the place of Judas. Uh, by the way, one of, one of the reasons for that is that number 12 is very important. You know, these, these apostles are circumcision apostles. They, they have that apostleship of the circumcision of the nation of Israel. And 12 is a number that's a very important in the Bible with regard to Israel. I know of no place in the scripture where the number 12 is used where it doesn't refer to Israel in some way. And of course, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, these 12 disciples, I mean, it, it, though it might work out nicely if there were one disciple from each of those 12 tribes, that's not the case. In fact, you know, several of the disciples were brothers that would have been from the same tribes. But nevertheless, there's, there is one disciple for each tribe. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and there's these 12 disciples, 12 apostles. The number 11 is a, a number in the Bible that generally has to do with chaos, uh, the number 12, not only does it have to do with Israel, it often, it often speaks of a sort of a governmental perfection. And so as you have Israel divided into 12 tribes, as you have, uh, you know, many, many places in the scripture, you have that 12-fold division when it comes to, to nations and governments and that kind of thing. You take one away from that, and the number 11 is often a number of chaos in the Bible. And here with, with Judas, with, as the, as the psalm prophesied that his days would be few, there's a hole left in that leadership among these, these disciples. And so Peter recognizes, based on this passage, that somebody else needs to be appointed to take the position of Judas. Now let's, let's continue on here in Psalm 109 just to see a few more things that it says about Judas. We won't read the whole thing. But it says in verse 9, Let his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath and let the strangers spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Now, as you read many of these things, you see that, that many of these things are not just curses upon Judas, but they're curses upon his children. 
and and realize that you know while the while the scripture says that the uh that the Lord does not hold the children accountable for the sins of the father, realize that the sins of a father always have effects on the children. Uh, you can see it as sin, you know, takes its course down through from generation to generation. You see very often that the sin of, of a father affects his children and grandchildren and, and great-grandchildren. What the scripture does say is that God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate him. And you can see, I mean, you can, I'm sure you can think of families where you see certain sins that are, you know, are continued on generation after generation. And certainly uh, the sins of one generation affect the generations that come after them. And Judas here, by, by God cursing him with his days being few, it's going to result in his children being fatherless. It's going to result in his wife being a widow. Uh, just the, just the, the infamy that he brought upon his name. I mean, not only did he lose the, the respect of the believers, but even the unbelievers had no respect for him. Even the very people that he, that he, uh, conspired with to betray the Lord Jesus Christ had no respect for him, and his children were not going to get any mercy from anybody uh, here as, as he was known as this betrayer. And, and so you see that there's these effects that not only affect him, but affect his wife and children as well. Uh, if, you, if you come down to verse, verse uh, 16... It describes, you get a little bit of a picture here of the kind of man that Judas was. Of course, we're told in Scripture that he was a thief, and he was the one who held the, you know, held the purse, held the, the money bag uh, of the, the money that the disciples had in common, and he was a thief from that as well. But notice how else it describes this person of Judas. In verse 16, it says, Because that he remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessings, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing, like as with his garment, so let it come into his bowels like water and let like oil into his bones." Let it be unto him as the garment which covereth him, and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let this be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord, and of them that speak evil against my soul. You see, it describes here Judas as a man who loved cursing, uh, a man who, uh, who never blessed, delighted not in blessing, somebody who didn't show mercy, he persecuted the poor and needy, uh, so you get, you get a picture here of the character of Judas. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 1. So as, as Peter is, you know, thinking about these verses, he sees that there is something that needs to be put in place. Now also remember that at this time, this is right after the ascension, and from the, in the period of time, that 40 days between Christ's resurrection and his ascension, he had been teaching the disciples uh, all these things from the Old Testament about himself. Now, we don't know, it doesn't say for sure, but it could be as well that Christ had directly instructed, had pointed out these verses to Peter and the, and the Twelve, and had instructed them about the need uh, for, for uh, this to take place. 
but uh, we don't we don't know if that's the case. But certainly, the Lord had been spending those forty days teaching them all the things in the Old Testament about Himself, and we can see how those Psalms as well are about Himself. But uh, Peter Peter uh, you know reads these things. Um, he talks about how the Holy Ghost in verse 16 spoke by the mouth of David and, and was speaking about Judas. Um, he, he describes what happened with Judas. And this isn't the only description of it. You also have the, the uh, description that's given over in the, in the Gospels. But it says of Judas in verse 18, Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. Now it mentions here that that field being called the field of blood. Uh, The scripture also records how the the same the same Pharisees that he had uh, had had conspired with to betray Christ. Uh, Remember, he went back and tried to return the 30 pieces of silver, and they wouldn't receive it because it was was blood money, right? And, you know, it just shows, you, you see often this religious hypocrisy of these Pharisees, they didn't consider it, they didn't consider it against the law to pay the blood money, but they considered it improper for them to receive it back. So they could pay it out, they could pay to have somebody betrayed, but they wouldn't receive the money back. And so what they decided to do was they took that money and they bought this same field where Judas died. They, they bought this same field and set it aside as, as a place to bury the poor. And even today, you'll often hear, you know, often in uh, big cities, they'll have land set aside to bury people, you know, there, there are people that die and nobody knows who they are or whatever, and they'll call that a potter's field. That's based on, on uh, this, this field that Judas bought had been a potter's field, and it was a place to bury the poor. Uh, here it refers to it being called the field of blood. And no doubt, as people would pass this this piece of land, they would think about what had happened to Judas there, whether they were believers or unbelievers. Uh, They knew of what had happened here with Judas. You see, it says it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, and they recognized that place as not being a very good place. They called it the field of blood. Now, uh, verse 20 is where Peter quotes there from some of the Psalms that we read. It says, It is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate. And let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, that's his office as an overseer, let another take. Now, Peter lays out here what would be the qualifications of somebody to take the position of Judas, to take this position among the twelve. He says, Wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And so Peter lays out the requirements. It has to have been somebody. It couldn't be somebody who had just lately become a believer in Christ. It had to be somebody who could be a witness to his, to all of his ministry from the baptism of John all the way to the resurrection. It had to be somebody who was there from the beginning, just like the rest of the twelve had been. Uh, by the way, some people 
will claim that Peter is acting rashly here, that he is outside of the will of God in in choosing somebody to replace Judas. And some would claim that the Apostle Paul was actually the one to replace Judas. There's a lot of problems with that view. Uh, one of the problems is that Paul doesn't meet the requirements. Paul wasn't, wasn't around. He wasn't with them even at the time of the resurrection, much less at the time of the baptism of John. Uh, Paul does not meet these requirements to be among the twelve. And God had a different purpose for the apostle Paul. Peter and the twelve here are, are referred to, Peter's apostleship is referred to as being an apostleship of the circumcision, where Paul has an apostleship of the uncircumcision. And, and so Paul, you know, Paul's not even on the scene yet here in this passage uh, and, and won't be for some time. God had a different purpose for the Apostle Paul. The purpose here in, in having somebody to replace Judas is not to, uh, you know, at that time go out and be the Apostle to the Gentiles, as Paul will be later on, but rather it's to be, again, to be an eyewitness of the things that Christ did and taught and of his resurrection. And so they, as they, as they go out, of course, many people would have become believers in Christ long after that among these 120. And in fact, as they go out and look who would meet those requirements, you see, they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And so they have two men that are possibilities, that are candidates for that position of, of, uh, um, taking the place of Judas. And to decide between the two, they use a, uh, a process that had often been used in the Old Testament to make decisions and to, to divide things up. They prayed to God, asked for God to show which was his choice, and then they cast lots with faith that God would, would choose, would uh, show which one was truly his choice. So of these two candidates, you see, they pray to the Lord, they ask the Lord, uh, since he knows the hearts of all men, uh, since he can judge between these two men in a way that, that these disciples cannot, uh, to make known which of the two he had chosen. Uh, it says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And you see it says they gave forth their lots, the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And nowhere do you find in scripture any criticism of what they do here. Uh, in, fact, in fact, what you find is uh, recognition of Matthias being one of these twelve. Now, you know, what you, what you see here, as much as some people would want to criticize uh, what they're doing here and, and say that what they're doing is illegitimate, really they're doing the exact same thing that we ought to do. You see, Peter comes to the Word of God. He has discernment and understanding where he's able to take the Word of God. He's able to understand that that passage in Psalm 109 is not just talking about, you know, some, some nameless wicked man in general, but it's talking about Judas himself. He's able to apply the word of God to his situation and follow what it says, that another would take his office. 
You see, Peter and the, and, and the eleven here, which become again the twelve, are following the word of God and, and doing what the word of God says in what they do here with Matthias. And that's the same thing we ought to do, to have the same kind of discernment that they have, to be able to take the word of God, understand how it applies to our situation, and then, and then obey it. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there was probably great discussion among, among these 120 at the time about whether what they were doing was right. There was probably, there was probably uh, some discussion about that and differences of views about it. But you see the leadership of Peter here as he takes that word of God and, and says clearly we have to appoint somebody to take Judas's place and he follows that word. And you know that's what God expects of us as well to Again, to go to that word, be able to apply it, uh, discern and be able to apply it to our situation and then to follow it. And um, this, you know, you realize that this probably isn't the first time that Peter had ever read that verse or thought about that verse. Uh, Peter had probably been learning that verse at various times all through his life. But here he he's, uh, encounters the situation where the verse applies. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't necessarily wait till the situation comes up to go and try and figure out what the verse means. But rather, these were things that, that he had been learning, and certainly in that 40 days previous to this, had been learning about these things. And he sees clearly what the Word of God called for him to do in that situation, and he follows it and he obeys it. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.